Welcome into The Harvest, a podcast dedicated to helping ordinary believers take the message and mission of Jesus out of the building and into the everyday places of life. I'm Andrew Stroud, and today I'm joined by Al Engler, leader of Nav Neighbors Mission. We talk about how becoming ordinary is exactly what we need to focus on to restore the church to its original mission. A lot of great stuff in this conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Well, Al, welcome. It's great to have you on the show today. Hey, it's great to be with you again, Andrew. You know, you were on the podcast last season. I think it was the eighth episode that we did. We had a great conversation, but we've got some new listeners. So why don't we start out with just having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and maybe bring us up to speed with uh, where you're at these days. Sure. Uh, I live out in Seattle, Washington. Um, my background is that uh, I grew up kind of in this area, about about 60 miles south of Seattle. Uh, my grandfather was a military retiree, and so we ended up near the military base. Uh, don't have much spiritual background, uh, definitely no religious background. I don't think I set foot in a church building at all growing up. I uh, joined the Army early in life when I was 17. Uh, and it was during my army career that, uh, I met a person that was a Christ follower, fellow soldier, same rank. We became friends. And I think both the attractiveness of his life and the fact that he knew his way around the Bible, uh, is what God used to, to pull me toward Christ. And so, uh, I, and then shortly afterwards, my, my wife, Iris, uh, trusted Christ, uh, under the influence of uh, this particular uh, fellow soldier and his wife. Um, that was 1980, and so we became believers and somewhat connected to the navigators. Uh, the, the person who had led us to the Lord had that background. Uh, we were asked to join navigator staff uh, in 1986, so um, a, little, a bit over 30, 33 years I, I've been on staff with the Navigators and have served in a number of roles, uh, most of them uh, serving the military, but also as missionaries overseas and uh, city uh, director. And over the last few years, I've been uh, leading a part of the Navigators focused on neighboring and neighborhoods. And just in the last few months, I, I've been asked to take uh take the three focuses of church, neighborhoods, and workplaces and try to blend them together uh, into one effort. And I'm excited about doing that. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a challenge, but uh, I think a lot these days about the need for people to live integrated lives. And uh, that's really what we're trying to shoot for, that people's uh, church life, their work life, their neighboring life, their family life, all of that would be just one life under the Lordship of Christ. So that's kind of what we're up to these days. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more. Um, some of our audience will, will know about the navigators, but a few that might be um, a new, a new organization to them. So tell us a little bit about the navigators because they were instrumental in you coming to faith uh, back in 1980. And then you've been associated with that particular organization in the years since. So, how would you uh, how would you give a brief introduction to who the navigators are and what they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I, I often like to think back at the history uh, in the 1930s. A just a truck driver who had a 
tremendous passion for evangelism named Dawson Trotman uh, set as a goal to share the gospel every day and would uh, lead people to Christ. Uh, but then one day he picked up a, a hitchhiker that he had already led to Christ, and it was obvious that whatever that decision was, it didn't stick. And that kind of set Doss on a journey to learn about uh, personal follow-up and life-to-life discipleship. Uh, that was a pretty huge uh, milestone in the beginning of the Navigators. And then the next thing that happened is that Doss invested in a sailor uh, who was stationed there in Long Beach, uh, California, uh, helped that person grow uh, just through life-to-life discipleship. And then that sailor led a friend to Christ on the ship, came back to Dawson and said, hey, would you help him like you've helped me? And Dawson said, no, uh, you help him. If you if you can't help him, then everything I've done with you has been a waste. And I think basically those two stories together illustrate what the Navigators are about. We're about ordinary people uh, carrying the good news of Christ and the ability to help people grow uh, in their relationship with Christ and even in their Christ-likeness just through ordinary uh, intentional relationships. Yeah, that's really makes a lot of sense. You know, when when you met your friend there with the army while you were stationed in Germany, uh, he himself was a fellow soldier. So he was one of these ordinary people (laughs) and you guys knew each other because of the ordinary context of both being in the military at that time. But he was in a position to really share his faith with you. And then it sounds like maybe also spent some time after you came to faith in helping you really figure out which, which, which way was up when it comes to uh, following Jesus. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I, uh, when I told him that I had uh, prayed and, and uh, asked Jesus into my life, he was really excited. And then he kind of leaned in close to me and, and said in a quiet voice, he said, Hey, Al, um, I meet with Jesus in the basement of the barracks every morning before, <laughs> uh, before formation. You want to join us? And so the next morning I, yeah, I said, sure, you know, and, and actually lost some sleep that night trying to figure out what that even meant to meet right. with Jesus. Like, what is he talking about? What's that going to look like? And, you know, is it going to be some religious ritual or whatnot? And uh, and so it, everything kind of began that next morning when I showed up early in the morning in the basement of our barracks. And, you know, we just read the Bible together and um, talked about what it said and then prayed about it, prayed about our day. And uh, and then we were kind of off and running. He he basically showed me how to spend this quality time in the Word and prayer every day. That's become a lifelong habit. And uh, we began to study the Bible together, share our faith with uh, people at work. And not only that, uh, coached me a lot on just my marriage and you know how I was living life and even how I was functioning uh, at work. So. Yeah, and he he did most of that through uh, through just through the scriptures, leading through the scriptures. Uh, it seemed like Dave's habit would be to reach into his uh, into his pocket, pull out his New Testament, flip it open to a passage, and say, "What do you think about this?" <laughs> and it seemed to be kind of the thing that would uh, speak to a particular need I I would have. So yeah, that's that's what happened in some ways. Dave and his wife, Cheryl, at the time, they just uh, 
they just poured their lives into us for a couple of years and helped us lay a foundation of walking with Jesus. Well, you've been walking with Jesus now for 40 years, it sounds like, or coming up on it. So yeah. you've got a lot to share with us, I know. Um, you yourself, I think, are proudly an ordinary person um, seeking to live out your faith and share Jesus with others in ordinary places. So you mentioned Navigator's Neighbors, which is the particular mission that you're you're working with right now that you're leading. Um, tell us a little bit more about Navigator Neighbors, and I would also love to hear about your own journey in life, you know, over these past 40 years, what's, what's brought you to have this particular work as your passion? Yeah, I, I think that it, it was just natural, uh, naturally taught to me from the very beginning that, uh, that God had supernaturally planted us in a set of relationships and in a location and that we held some responsibility to communicate uh, about Jesus and to love the people in our world. So that's just, I, you know, I'm not 100% sure where it came from other than watching it be modeled and having it done to us. Uh, but everywhere we've ever gone, regardless of whether I was in the military or regardless even of what my assignment was with, with Navigator staff, we've just tried to love our neighbors well. So it may have been that our ministry focus was on a military base and we would, we would engage there, but we would just get to know our neighbors, pray for them, love them, uh, family members, uh, people that we would meet in other, you know, other arenas. We tried to live that way. Uh, about five years ago when I was asked to lead what became NAP, Navigator Neighbors, one of the things I was wrestling with, and, and John Schneider actually mentioned this on the last podcast, was that uh, many of the people we invested in didn't seem to keep going on, or it was, it was difficult for them when their, when their life uh, context starts to change. You know, either they changed jobs, got married, family life changed, they moved those locations. It seemed that they would lose the the, the vision or the heart or the motivation, I'm not sure what it was, hmm. to continue to be engaged in personal ministry. And so I, I, in some ways I've been on a lifetime pursuit on how do you help people keep going? People that often get started in their 20s, uh, excited about the Lord, and then that, that tends to wane over the years. And one of the keys that we've discovered is helping people get in touch with the place uh, where God is, has planted them or put them and really grow in ownership of, um, yeah, this place where, I, where I've been put is, is kind of God's assignment to me. Um, hmm. So that's been, that's been kind of a little bit of the arc of my motivation. Both we've tried to live that way, but then I think the Lord has kind of helped us unlock um, that, boy, when you start to own hey, I've been uniquely planted in a location and in a set of relational networks, and there's no one else uh, so uniquely placed uh, besides me in this particular arena. And you start to own that, you know, things start to open up uh, quite a bit. So let's explore that a little bit more, because I do think that one thing I've appreciated an emphasis that you have is on this, this idea of place and geography and community, neighborhood. 
Um, and as I think about, I guess, just American culture, I don't know, I can't speak to cultures around the world, but it, it seems to me that that's something that's, that either is being or has been lost, not just within the church, but within society as, as a whole. Have you seen that shift over the course of your own lifetime, or is that just something that was already lost, I guess, um, even, even during your lifetime? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's part of a bigger picture, uh, which is really just a, a frag fragmentation of our society in a number of ways. So, you know, families are fragmenting. Uh, people in the work environment used to used to be committed to a company for life, and that company was committed to them. Well, that has that has frayed on both sides. Uh, people are always looking for the next thing, but on the other uh, on the other hand, they could just be laid off at a moment's notice. And then in place, uh, I think what we've done is we've traded uh, community, which which would be normally found in the places we live. We've we've traded the value of community for the value of privacy. And so you can you can begin to look, and the the more resources, the more money you make the more privacy you want to buy. So in some ways you're moving away from the very community that we're, that we're created to, to live into. Uh, and now the good news with a lot of this stuff is that things eventually get so bad that it creates a good soil for the <laughs> seeds of the gospel to take root again. And I, I do think we're starting to get there where, uh, you know, third places are becoming a big deal. Uh, people are thinking more about the place that they live. Uh, community is starting to grow as a value in our society. I mean, I just see elements of it starting to happen because we've just, we've experienced such uh, consequences of uh, aloneness and um, isolation that come from the, come from the fragmentation. So, uh, but it's always been, you know, I, I think of the, the passage, you know, very, well-known passage that you've probably talked about in Into the Harvest a lot, but where Jesus in Matthew 9, where he saw the crowds, uh, he saw that they were really hurting. They were, they were distressed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said that the answer would be that the Lord of the harvest would, uh, would send laborers into the harvest. And so the, the Lord sends his people in answer to that prayer into particular context, uh, which includes, um, you know, just ordinary places. So it's, it's interesting to me in that passage, the word for laborer is, uh, is a word that just means a common ordinary field hand. Uh, so it's an ordinary person. And then the harvest field that he's talking about is is just an ordinary place. <laughs> so, right. to me, the 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 elements of what we're talking about uh, with ordinary people in ordinary places are are the beginnings of the are in that kind of answer to the distressed, broken, downcast situation that uh, that people are finding themselves in, and which we see today in in our society. Yeah, I, I really, I really agree with that, and it's um, it's interesting because I think for a lot of people, for a lot of believers, they they do see themselves as ordinary people, but that's almost 
a hindrance or that's something that is that that's why they cannot be used by the Lord or they, that's why they don't know what to do because they're just ordinary. And then I, I think we also have this this long seated idea that there is this distinction between the sacred and the the commonplace, the everyday. And, you know, we, we give ourselves to everyday work. And then on special occasions, we, we come together as God's people in a special place at a special time. And that becomes this, this sacred space. And, uh, you know, one of my formulas is that ordinary places are, are greater than sacred spaces. And so you know, I just kind of write it out on a line, you know, the, the ordinary places of life are greater than the sacred spaces that, that we all have kind of become accustomed to that if we could just get people into those spaces or to that particular church service, then people could encounter the Lord. And you're right. Matthew nine is a, is a huge passage for us. It's where we get the name into the harvest. Um, and we've, we've talked about this before, but Jesus was living the dream of a, a mega church pastor. He had thousands of people, great crowds seeking him out, coming to where he was at because they wanted to listen to him or they wanted to see him do his thing, uh, work a miracle, heal someone. And in that context, it wasn't that Jesus didn't have anything going on. He had thousands of people seeking him out. He turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, we need to pray. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest. And so this idea of orientation that that um, we're not going to impact our our world by drawing people into our sacred spaces. The impact is going to happen as ordinary laborers, ordinary workers, people catch a vision for the harvest and are sent out into it. So all of us have this this corner of the harvest that the Lord has assigned us to, and you you use the word uh, we've been planted in this in this place. So how do you go about trying to help people see that first being ordinary is exactly what they should be aiming for? That's that's what we want, and then secondly, helping them catch a vision for the place that they've already been assigned by the Lord, their, their corner of the harvest. Yeah. In some ways, um, I think the first thing we try to do is, is just to help people, uh, get involved, you know, begin to intentionally love the people in their world. So identify them, uh, start to pray for them, look for opportunities to serve them. It, it feels like once you start to do that, you, you kind of see, oh, okay, I, this is not so uh, complicated. I, mm -hmm. I think it is hard. It's hard to love the people around you and to do that on a consistent, ongoing basis. So I don't want to say that it's easy, but it's not complex. It's not complicated. It, it, it simply, it, it takes a, um, uh, just an overflow in your relationship with Christ where you understand how much he loves you and then you love the people are around you. Um, I, I'm reading an excellent book right now by Philip Yancey. I think it's his, uh, his latest one. Uh, it's called Vanishing Grace. And the subtitle is Bringing Good News to a Deeply Divided World. Uh, highly recommend hmm. it. 
he talks about these ordinary people as grace dispensers. Uh, and he uses, he uses as kind of his, his main passage, uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen, uh, which says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And he said, man, if, if every, if every follower of Jesus took as their mission statement to make sure that the people around them did not miss the grace of God, uh, that they experienced the grace of God, they, you know, we'd see, we'd see things completely turn around. He points out, it's a little bit similar to your part of your conversation with John Snyder uh, in the last podcast. You were talking about how often in our, uh, in our religious systems, we have substituted uh, teaching for, in some ways, life-to-life uh, training. So we, we think that if we get a good teacher and he teaches the right things and everybody listens to that, that'll, that'll result in change but it doesn't. Well, I think in some ways we've done the same thing with the gospel. We have focused over the last, I don't know, 50, 100 years uh, in the United States on honing the message. So we think if we just get the message down really well and and enable people to communicate that message clearly, uh, we'll have, you know, people will respond to the gospel. But in fact, in the U.S., most people are familiar with the basic um, the basic gospel message. It's not that they haven't heard nor even understood the gospel message. It's that they've decided it's not relevant. It's irrelevant right. to them. And so what they need, uh, more than a clear exposition of a gospel message, is they need to see examples of people that are living uh, in light of the gospel, right around them, even people doing that imperfectly, uh, that are just that are loving extravagantly, exercising hospitality, uh, generosity, service, people that value uh, folks, other people just because they're human beings uh, created in the image of God, uh, people that live like that. Uh, that's probably the greatest apologetic that's needed right now. Not so much um, honing our message. Yeah, I caught something that you wrote recently about the gospel flowing both naturally and supernaturally. And uh, it seems to connect with some of what you were just sharing. So do you re- do you recall what I'm talking about? And is that something you could share with our audience? Yeah, you know, I we, I don't know if you ever wonder about this. I mean, there's some s- strong supernatural aspects of the gospel. Uh, you know, Paul writes in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who who believes. And then, you know, he also writes about the gospel bearing fruit all over the world. So there's some supernatural mm-hmm. aspect of the gospel. And the more we... Uh, understand that the more we realize that yeah for someone to trust christ um you know i didn't trust christ because dave convinced me but really looking back i realized no that god supernaturally pulled me or wooed me into his family so there's a supernatural aspect of that and yet the gospel really is designed to flow along natural relational networks and so um I think that I, the way I tie it together is sometimes we, we may wonder, why are we not seeing this supernatural revival or uh, 
awakening to the gospel? Why are we not seeing it like it was in in the first century kind of thing? Where's the supernatural of it? And yet we aren't committed to the very natural, uh, intentional, loving relationships with the people that God has placed us among. And mm-hmm. I, I just wonder if we focused on um, on the natural love in relational networks, whether we might not start to see a supernatural outbreak of the gospel. I, somehow I think those two are tied it, because it bo- is both supernatural and natural at the same time. Yeah, one thing that uh, I, I believe the way you phrased it was that we it may be that we're not seeing the, the supernatural power of God in the gospel because we've lost sight of the natural power of love in, in relationship. And so you've got these, these two things that maybe these two tracks that the gospel is, is progressing into lives and communities through there. There's definitely the supernatural dynamic, the supernatural power of God. That's what Romans one sixteen says is it's the power of God for salvation. But yes. then, but then there is this, this natural power that people can see and recognize. Although I, I would say it's, it's highly unusual. And that's why I think it does stand out to people when they see hospitality or kindness um, or going the extra mile. Um, but that, that seems like that's always been maybe this tension within evangelical Christianity where we, we need all people to get the gospel. So, I think sometimes we feel this pressure to get the word out quickly and then keep moving, you know. So the idea of a decision for Christ, helping people make a decision, and and that almost lives in tension with taking the time to really be embedded in a place and to demonstrate love and hospitality over time. Do Do you see that same tension and how have you tried to, if so, how, how have you tried to, to move forward with that? Yeah. I mean, I, a couple of thoughts on that. I, I think one is it, if we could, if we could really think about the, where the gospel actually is having an effect in our society and give ourselves to doing those things rather than feeling good about, well, I kind of, uh, you know, I've shared, so I, I checked the box. No, I mean, we, we passionately want to see people uh, know Jesus. So that, you know, I, again, referring back to uh, Philip Yancey's book, these, he, his observation is, is people who live as the three words he uses are pilgrims, activists, and artists. He says those three types of people seem to be having the most uh, most influenced today for the gospel. So a pilgrim would just be a fellow traveler, you know, if you, so you have this attitude uh, with your neighbors and friends that, hey, we're all fellow travelers. We're all <laughs> trying to live a life together. Now we found, you know, we found that following Jesus has these advantages and we're, I'm imperfectly doing it. But you, so you begin to just share that from the perspective of a, of a pilgrim. Or even another way of, uh, you know, for me, a synonym would be an exile. So Jeremiah 29 talks about living as an exile, but yet you're doing, you know, you're planting gardens, you're marrying, you're, you're doing regular life like everybody else around you, but there's something slightly different. 
Hmm. Uh, then this activist, this, these are people that are known by their deeds. So they, they just try to make a difference. They do things to make a difference. They show up, uh, you know, where there's injustice, try to right it to where there's uh, where there's an opportunity to serve, they'll show up and serve. And then artists are somehow using beauty, uh, whether it's music or, you know, some other creative expression to show things about God. Uh, but what we hmm. tend to focus on is just get the message out. So th the problem is that's not really very effective because it, it people the message has kind of gotten out. I don't know if you've really thought of this, but, uh, you know, you can get on YouTube and uh, have some of the best presentations of the gospel that have ever existed uh, in the last 2,000 years. So the problem isn't the honing of our message. Uh, the problem is we don't have a living a living example of the reality of the message or enough of them uh, among regular people. Uh, the other thing that has helped me, though, is just understanding as I've studied the scripture on how does the gospel advance to understand that there's an apostolic effort, which is generally what's needed where Christ is not known and where the gospel has never been previously planted, uh, an effort where you do just need to get the message in there and you pray and by faith hope that it will have some recept it'll be received in some people's hearts. But then once you start to work with those people who have who for whatever reason received the message, you you don't want them to go on and do the exact same thing. You you want them to begin to live into the reality of the gospel uh, in their day-to-day -day lives. So I think maybe I shared this with you last year, but the, I, the understanding the difference between taking the gospel to a place and taking a gospel, the gospel into a place, different set of skills, uh, even a different set of giftedness uh, needed for each of those. Yeah, maybe unpack that a little bit more for those who might not have uh, caught that particular conversation or might be intrigued by this idea of taking the gospel to versus taking the gospel into yeah, um, you know, it's it's interesting to me. Here's a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, the the apostolic teams that we know most about from the scriptures are the are Paul's teams. We just have more data on those those guys. And generally, what they would do would be they would go into a a town, and uh, if there was a synagogue, they would go in there. Uh, but if not, they would find some other place where people gathered and maybe spiritually oriented people might gather and they would just proclaim the gospel message and we've got good examples of that and the response to that gospel message would be uh, I would say generally most people weren't interested uh, some people were hostile and then and some people were interested or even responded and even trusted Christ and so once once they got kind of a quorum of those folks, that would become the fledgling church in that location. Then we have the epistles that Paul wrote later to them where he talked to them, and he did talk to them quite a bit about the gospel. It's really interesting hmm. to just do a word search on the gospel and, and look at how it's used uh, throughout the New Testament. It's interesting to me that in the epistles, when Paul writes about the gospel— there is almost no exhortation to share the gospel. What, what he talks about is um, 
reflecting on the power of the gospel in their own lives and on living up to the gospel. <laughs> so living into the reality of the gospel. Now, every once in a while, Paul would say, hey, pray for me uh, as I'm out here on the edges proclaiming the gospel that I'd make it clear. So he would, you know, he was doing that. But generally speaking, he was he was trying to help uh, these new Christ followers to live a radically different life uh, among the pagans uh, where the, where they were planted. And he felt, I think, that that is how the gospel would advance into the into the place. Um, There's a book, uh, another book I'd recommend called Sacred Roots, Why the Church Still Matters in a Post-Religious Era. And it's kind of a similar, it's a similar, in a similar vein to Yancey's book. But one one of my favorite paragraphs from, from that book, he says, what would the church look like if we chose to buy homes in the same streets and subdivisions, the same buildings and blocks, the same suburbs and sections, what would our love look like if it showed up in dozens of times a week in small but profound ways? Meals cooked, prayers prayed, songs sung, scripture studies, studied, games played, parties thrown, tears shed, reconciliation practiced, resources given. What if we stopped attending community groups and became groups of communities? What if our homes stopped being the places we hid from the world but havens to which the world comes for healing. And I think that's, that's the essence of the idea. So how does the gospel then begin to permeate our society? I think God is designed for that to happen on a very kind of personal one-to-one family-to-family neighbor-to-neighbor uh, basis uh, with a very different set of skills required. So I think for a lot of people listening that I, I hope for a lot of people listening that that, that description that you're giving us is intriguing and appealing, but I can imagine for a lot of folks, as they hear that, there are a few things that that might cause them to feel like it sounds great, but I don't know how I could actually start living that way. And one of them, I think, is just the way that our understanding of church that many of our listeners are, are already involved in. They're already engaged in a traditional model of church where you, you talked about instead of coming to community groups, you know, you know, our, our community, uh, we would actually be a community. Um, so I think that's one that people are already um, very busy. And, you know, church, church busyness is one of those areas of life that they're already engaged in. So the, the idea of of reorienting because because really what I hear you saying is is sort of a, a totally different approach to living out our faith and being the church. It's not necessarily something that you're going to retrofit onto the um, the the current model. Is that fair or help me out and help our listeners find the way through? Yeah, that? I. I... I think the main change has to first begin in our thinking. We have to think in accordance with what God says uh, in the scripture. So we're so affected by uh, just religious forms that we've either grown up with or that are a part of our society that we almost don't question them. And so when when I'm thinking about... um, 
people planted in their natural networks. Uh, one little thing I've been playing with is I, I've been saying the idea of it starts with your location and then it includes your vocation. It includes your avocation and it, and it includes all of your relation or your relationships, including your family. Now, the one word that I didn't say in there is congregation. And congregation has a place, um, but we've got to help put it into the right place. So it's when we, when we congregate as believers to worship the Lord, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, the main purpose for that gathering has got to be to help us live out this faith in Jesus in our location, our vocation, our avocation, and all of our relational networks. So we kind of in our own minds as followers of Jesus, we do need to, to begin to assess, okay, now why am I doing this religious thing? You know, what is the reason for this? What, what is the purpose for this? Uh, and if, if the answer uh, can be, you know, you can get the, the answer, then by all means, continue to gather. I, I think, uh, you know, Hebrews, Hebrews does say, don't forsake gathering together. But there's uh, the, the purpose of it is that we, we might stimulate each other to love and good deeds. And that is not just love and good deeds in our, in our own Christian bubble, but that's love and good deeds for the sake of the world. So we, I think we just have to begin to assess our, our, uh, our spiritual gatherings uh, in the light of the question of, does this help me live out my God-given calling? So that, that would be one. The other would be, uh, even in your own place where you're planted, you're not on your own. Uh, you, there are other believers that, you're, that overlap in your relational network. So then you're always asking the questions or, or hope, hopefully asking the question, hey, you're also a Christ follower here at work with me or here in my neighborhood. Uh, what could we do for the flourishing of this place? How could we help each other love the people in this world better? Maybe we need to get together and start praying for the folks uh, in this world or in our in our natural network. So you're not you're not alone, but you're you're looking for the church and by that I mean for the people of God in these various places. And then again, you're assessing your gathering rhythms, asking the question, is this helping uh, me to live out the gospel uh, where I am? Yeah, I think that that's, that's the great challenge for, for us as modern day believers, I think, is first just to understand the, the mission itself. What are we called to be, um, what are we called to do? How are we called to live? And then to be able to look up and, and assess reality that we see around us. And that includes the way that the, the church has traditionally operated and continues to operate, but also some of the things that we've already talked about or touched on in terms of uh, a, a society that's fragmented, um, a, uh, a society that that is disconnected and is more and more divided. Those are, those are themes that you hear on the nightly news. Um, you know, I was yes. just watching the news last night and they were talking about this. Uh, we've never been more divided. So, I, and then I think you have to take ownership to say, you know, God has given me a life and 
part of my responsibility is to steward the days that God has given me, the the time that he's given me on this earth. And it's going to be impossible to do that if if we don't really know, like you said, if, if our thinking doesn't change so that we understand what is this that that the Lord is wanting to accomplish in the world during my time. And then what are the opportunities, what are the challenges that I am faced with as as a member of the society that we're all a part of, but then even down to the local level, what are the unique challenges and opportunities that I have? And then to really make, I would say, bold, courageous choices in how we spend our time, what we give ourselves to, the relationships that we do team with. Um, but I know that you are, are leading a network of folks that have this vision and are already living this out. So Again, going back to someone who may be listening and who may be drawn to what they're hearing, where can where can they start? What are some of the stories that, that you can share with us of folks who are living out this kind of faith? Yeah, I, I was mentioning to you before we started the podcast uh, about a couple that uh, moved into uh, our neighborhood about two years ago. And I'll just give a little background. This uh, the the husband is in the military uh, and had some connection with the navigators at other other places, but he had be- gotten newly married, and he knew me. I didn't know him. Reached out to me via email and said, "Hey, I'm going to be assigned in Seattle as an ROT instructor, ROTC instructor at one of the universities." And my, my new wife and I were interested in a place to live and a place to, to go to church, to worship. And so I responded and said, well, what kind of neighborhood are you looking for? And what kind of place to worship are you looking for? And his initial answer was, well, he named a, a very large church out in the suburbs. And uh, he named a couple suburban neighborhoods. And I said, hey, you know, um, I might be able to connect you with some other folks, but we're really focused on the neighborhood where we live in the central district of, of Seattle, but it happens to be pretty close to your university where you're going to be teaching. Well, uh, they made a series of decisions to choose to move into our neighborhood, and that led to even the choices that they made on what church to, to affiliate. And, and so for the last two years, um, They've been involved with us in helping. They helped us with a Bible reading group with our non-believing neighbors. They've been at barbecues. They've gotten to know neighbors. Even ironically, we've had a huge changeover in our neighborhood in the last year or so. And uh, a new couple with a small baby just moved in in our townhome complex. And Iris and I hadn't met them yet. Well, it turned out that this couple we've been investing in because they now have a little baby and this other couple has a little baby, they met each other while pushing their strollers. Uh, and then, so she ended, ended up introducing them to us and they're in our, they're in our town home complex. So it's been that level of overlap. Uh, but the, you know, I, I know I've mentioned a couple books. I I'll mention what we ended up going through with them. We went, we, we took them through a, a Bible study called the ways of the alongsider which is a, a, a kind of a good uh, Bible study to just help people get going in this idea of natural life-to-life discipleship. So that's, 
you know, they were helping us, this, this couple, I, I'm not saying their names because I don't really have permission, but they, they were helping us. And, and, uh, we thought, man, we want to help you as well. So we launched into kind of just pouring into their lives, helping them with their own walk with Jesus and, and marriage and, you know, those kinds of things. Well, they're getting ready to leave. They'll be moving to another state and just our time with them. I realized that they are thinking now quite differently about how they're going to choose their neighborhood, where they're going to locate, what kind of a church affiliation they'll have, because it's all through this, this lens of understanding that, okay, the, the next place I'm going, uh, God wants to plant me or us as a family in the soil of the lost and broken in this new location. And I, I'll tell you, that was just incredibly gratifying to see the transformation uh, in this one couple just by being involved with us uh, in our neighborhood for the last two years. So we're seeing that kind of thing break out in a, in a lot of ways. I, I think we're helping bring some tangibility uh, to what does it look like to live the gospel out in uh, a neighborhood setting. And yeah, the, you know, we, I think I've mentioned before with you, uh, we have a website, it's navneighbors.org. And there's a, you know, there's a blog on there. And actually, there's opportunities for training. Uh, usually once a year, we conduct uh, intense level training on neighborhood ministry um, in one city in the country, but it's open to anyone. Uh, next year, actually, I, so the one we're doing now is in Denver, but it's closed. You know, once it begins, then there's, we're not taking new people in. But next year, we'll actually have one in Austin, Texas, and one in Detroit, Michigan. So we'll do two of them. And that that's all at our, our website if you're, you're interested in that. So, uh, yeah, so we try to just orient people. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I greatly enjoyed your last podcast uh, with John Snyder and you guys talked quite a bit about intentionality and I think uh, intentionality really applies here as well. Um, now we want people to be intentional in the way of love. And you know, this is even interesting with discipleship. You, uh, uh, a guy, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting who the guy was. Uh, so I'm, I'm not gonna be able to say his name, but this is a quote from somebody else that I can't remember the person, but he said, <laughs> The person said, you can, you can be uh, intentional without being loving, but you can't be loving without being intentional. And I think that's right. I think we want a loving intentionality, both in our discipleship orientation and in the way just we live our lives. So we do take initiative toward people in a loving manner, but our, hopefully our, uh, our agenda becomes one of loving well. Uh, that's that's become my new answer to the question, hey, how do you keep your neighbors from feeling like your agenda, they're, they're just an agenda for you? Well, make mm -hmm. your agenda loving well. Then your yeah. neighbors can actually assess you on how you're doing <laughs> rather than them becoming your project. Yeah, I, I love that. And, um, you know, there's so many places where I want to go, go with this, but I, I would say... You know, what strikes me is that we, we have to start with availability. And I think so many of us are so busy in our, in our modern lives that it's really hard to love well. Um, 
because we just don't have time for it. So, so many of us struggle to find out, well, even if we can see the need, we don't know how to step into that need in part because there's so much else going on in our lives. And so I do think that, you know, being intentional, but also being very courageous to realign, you mentioned living an integrated life, but that's a really purposeful choice that's going to require letting go of things that aren't integrated, letting go of things that don't help you love well or be rooted in, in your place. So, um, you know, that's one thought that I had. Another thing, just as you were sharing about loving well, is thinking back to the early church. And, you know, the early church was known, some of the most impactful things that they did were caring for the graves of the dead, um, adopting children who had been abandoned because they were unwanted and basically raising them, foster foster care, orphanages, um, caring for the sick when plagues would sweep through cities, the Christians would stay back. There's a, there's a great book called uh, The Rise of Christianity um, by, um, by Rodney Stark, who I'm hoping to have on the podcast at some point. But mm. he talks about how the church grew in the first 300 years, but a lot of it was due to the difference makers that the church had. They were known as Christians. And they were in, they were they didn't make sense to people. Why would why would these Christians do these things? Um, so I think we have to, in the same way, think through what are the the needs of of our community. What are the needs of the people around us? And then what are practical ways that we can step into to meeting those needs and let that drive our activity and what we're actually giving ourselves to. But you know, if you don't have space, then that's that's really difficult to do. Yeah, that's, I think that's step one. And, and, you know, again, this is, this kind of goes, all of this uh, fits together. You know, why does the good news not look like good news to the world? (laughs) And we, we keep, you know, we keep trying to hone in on the message, but the the words that we're, the words that we're sharing, the words that we say, but the way we're living our life is not, is not demonstrating a countercultural narrative. And in these places where, so, you know, people on this busyness issue, people are very busy. They're incredibly busy. I mean, this is why, you know, all these food delivery services and Amazon and all these things are taking off. People are just trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, how to make it in all the busyness that they're doing. And things like that, uh, so it causes people to feel frazzled and disconnected and empty. Those kinds of things are great opportunities for followers of Jesus to live a different narrative that would really stand out. You know, it, it's kind of the principle that where where Paul talks about, uh, you know, uh, do things without grumbling or complaining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So the fact that the generation is is crooked and perverse means that if you just don't grumble, you'll really stand out. It'll be unique. Well, it's the same kind of thing is that our society right now is so busy uh, doing a million things that if the followers of Jesus could live a life that is at a different pace, where that values things like Sabbath rest, that, uh, that slows down, that takes time to listen and be with people, if they would live that kind of countercultural life, it would be so 
unbelievably uh, outstanding. It would it would it would get people's attention. But in fact, what we do is we live our lives just as fragmented and busy as the world. In fact, more so because we tack on religious activities onto the already fragmented lifestyle. Yeah. So we're you know we're doing all the things the world ha- is doing. Plus, we've added on uh, this religious component. Um, so we're even more fragmented. Um, so it, it's an opportunity, but it's an opportunity I don't think at this point we're not taking uh, full advantage of. So, yeah, you've got to be kind of radical to say no to a lot of things. Um, as you know, I'm in a, I'm in a role now uh, with the Navigators that involves a lot of travel uh, which means, of course, I'm not in my place where God has planted Iris and me uh, as often as I'd like to be. How I mitigate that is that when I am here, I I just try to walk and um, live as highly locally as I possibly can. It's interesting. We just had some guests stay with us for a little over a week. And um, during the time he was here, I, I got a haircut and then I took my car over to to get uh, get some work done on it, and I came back, and he said, uh, "Where did you where'd you come from?" I said, "Oh, I walked back from my mechanic where I dropped my car off." He said, "Man, <laughs> you 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 walk a block to your barber, you walk a block to your mechanic." He's like, "You really do live this stuff." <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know that uh, that the mechanic's the best mechanic in the world, although I think he's pretty good because I have a relationship with him. And, uh, you know, my probably the gal cuts my hair and may not be the best barber in town, but she knows my name and I know her. And um, and that's pro- that's of more value than to me than, you know, driving across town to get a slightly better quality haircut or save a couple dollars or or that kind of thing. And I think life is a series of little decisions like that uh, to try to defragment as best you can. Yeah. You know, you were talking about Paul and his letters to the churches and to the believers there. And that that is something that struck me years ago that that Paul didn't talk a lot about uh, evangelism, really, is what, what we would call evangelism or even disciple making. A lot of times his instruction was centered around, hey, you're a husband, you're a father. This is how you need to be living out those roles or you are a slave, you're a master. Here's how you live as a follower of Christ in that role. And Colossians is one of those books where he, he does that. But he in chapter 4, especially verses 2 through 6, he, he talks about devoting ourselves to prayer. And then, like you mentioned earlier, he, he asks the, the believers there in Colossae to pray for him and his apostolic team because they were going around proclaiming the, the message of Jesus in new places. But then he, he shifts in verse 5 and he tells them to conduct themselves with wisdom toward outsiders and to make the most of the opportunity. And, and then he goes on to say, let your speech uh, be uh, always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. And so it, I think that the order there is not accidental, that our conduct if we conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders and, and we're seeking to make the most of the opportunities that are already there, it's going to create opportunities for conversations, for talking. And then as we're talking, we need to know how to 
uh, let our speech always be with grace and be seasoned with salt. And when you think about seasoning something with salt, I was sharing this idea recently with some friends and um, I had a, a, a young friend who was a single guy who made his first cake and he substituted f- salt for sugar. Um, Not good. Just because he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want too much salt. I mean, salt is good as a seasoning. And so to be able to to season into the conversations that you're having with those that you're seeing on a regular basis, the truth of the gospel um, is really a lot of, of what I hear you describing. Um, what. Al, I'm going to put uh, in the notes of this particular episode, I'll have a link to NAV Neighbors and maybe even specifically the the page where you guys talk about your upcoming events next year in, you said it was Austin and Detroit? Yes. Yep. Maybe just say a few more words about those that particular training because it sounds like it's something that is on site, but then there is follow on engagement and, and connection. So how does that work? Yeah, so it's a it's a relatively large commitment, and we we do limit it to forty people because we, we're trying to hold on to a, a a specific dynamic. But if you if you apply for this, what you're saying is that you will use the the year. Uh, so in this case, it would be uh, twenty twenty to um, to focus on your neighborhood as your primary place of ministry and learning. So there's a commitment th- to that for a year. And then we gather together three times throughout the year. So if you chose Detroit or Austin, there'd be, um, I-, I think it's it's usually January, May, and uh, September, something like that, but three times throughout the year. And those dates are out there on the website. Um, so there are these three gatherings, but you're also assigned to a learning cohort that you would have uh, phone calls or probably um, uh, like online meeting calls, Zoom or something like that, where you're interacting about what's going on in your neighborhood. So you, you come out of these gatherings with some assignments, things to do, to try uh, in your neighborhood. And then you've got some ongoing uh, uh, coaching. It's a little bit of coaching, but it's actually more peer learning. So you're in a, you're in a small cohort uh, where you're just sharing with each other how it's going, what you're learning, and that kind of thing. Uh, then we also we choose carefully the cities where we meet because we want to be in cities that have actually that actually have expressions of what we're talking about. So neighborhood tours are a part of the process as well. So we actually you'll we'll go to places where there are actual practitioners of what we're talking about living. They give a tour, a background what they're learning. So that, that's what, that's what these trainings are, are like. We've done, we've been doing this for about five years and we've got about 260 or so alumni of these across the the country. And what I'm realizing is it's not primarily the instruction, the training, the content that you get, although it's some pretty good content. It's mainly beginning to act on what you hear in your place that changes people's lives. It provides kind of the impetus, the pathways, maybe even the language so that you can get started. And the people, which is most of the people that that hang in throughout the year and actually engage in their neighborhood 
uh, they come out um, they come out changed. And I, you know, this does not just apply to neighborhoods. It, it would apply to your workplace, uh, to your family network, to other affinity groups. But the neighborhood is the one place where families are together, your kids are there. It, it, it just has the best opportunity to live into the gospel holistically. So that's that's one of the reasons that we start there. If you learn these lessons in your neighborhood, you can apply them in a lot of different areas. Yeah, that's great. So I'll definitely include that in the show notes. And if folks are interested in learning more about that, you can check that out. Is there a way that folks can connect with you, Al, just to follow along what you're learning and what you're part of with Nav Neighbors? Sure. I mean, people, uh, you know, people could just email me if they'd like to just, I send out kind of a monthly uh, uh, MailChimp newsletter, which sometimes is devotional in nature. Sometimes it's just telling stories of what we're up to. But if anybody wants to be on that, uh, just send me an email, uh, al.angler at navigators.org. And, you know, we'll be glad to include you in that. Well, as we're wrapping up here, let me ask you, the state of the church, the state of the mission of, of Christ here in the U.S., when you think about it, are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? How, how do you feel about how things are going right now? Yeah, um, well, uh, you know, groups like Into the Harvest uh, caused me to be encouraged. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, you're not alone. I mean, God is doing some new things, uh, both through traditional churches reawakening uh, to empowering their their folks to have uh, personal ministry and through other efforts so that that encourages me you know it there's um, there's a bit of a curve of how uh, how the church and even efforts with the gospel seems to grow and then wane uh, you know so in Europe it's obviously post-christian uh, in places in Africa, I, I visited Ghana some years ago, and it just—it's uh, a—it's a, a, a very uh, there's lots of people that want to be discipled, lots of new hmm. believers who want to be discipled. So it's kind of the—it's all new and fresh and beginning hmm. and that kind of thing. The U.S., in my opinion, is probably in between those two. In some ways, we might be at the top of the curve or just beginning to go down toward the post-Christian uh, side where, where Europe is. I mean, we're moving that way. And on the coast, uh, you know, where you live, where I live, uh, San Francisco, uh, the East Coast, Boston, New York, places like that, we're probably further along than the heartland uh, of America. But this is where we're going. Um, right. And that can, be, that can be discouraging, but I find that it, 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 it's a, the soil of the lost and broken is the best soil for the real seed of the gospel to, to take root and bear fruit. So I am encouraged overall. Um, there's, there are things that discourage me. I, I do think we have a, a um, religiousness that's kind of infecting our, our society that is a, a mixture of patriotism and consumerism with some spirituality and church attendance mixed all together that is not that is toxic really uh, to the right. gospel and uh, I, I'm very concerned about that hmm. but I do feel like there is some counter uh, countercultural movement of true Christ followers that are 
radically um, loving their community. And to me, that's our hope. Well, I think that's uh, that's indicative of the cha- where the change is going to be happening, where I think it's already happening, which is at the local level, at the neighborhood level, ordinary belie- believers living out and sharing their faith in ordinary places. And I know you guys are right at the forefront of that. So I hope that folks that are listening to this will look you up and even more importantly, that they'll learn how to begin living that out in the corner of the harvest where the Lord has planted them. So Al, thanks again for being on the podcast. Always enjoy talking to you. And I know that you're an encouragement to the people that get to hear and learn from you. So thanks. Thank you, Andrew. This is a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. One of the best ways you can partner with us to grow our community is to share this podcast with your friends. Whether it's word of mouth or sharing our content on social media, we need your help to spread the message. Thanks for being part of our family. Together, we're bringing discipleship into the digital age. 